Well, good morning again. It's so good to see everyone here and see your smiling faces here. It's Sunday morning, and we are in the middle of a series called Selfless, and it is the new year, and many times it's still January, so it still counts as the new year. We set out these New Year's resolutions, right? And some of you are like, it's the end of January, and I've already failed, but there's next year, right? 2020 is my year. But we, we do this. Every year we decide we're going to improve something. You know, people decide they're going to join the gym or they're going to start eating right or they want to start doing all these things that are really great things. And, and I hope you have some goals like that and have some things that you are doing and setting aside and trying to better improve yourself. But what we have found is that many times the goals that we do are just really centered around ourself and they can be kind of selfish. And so as Christ followers, as people who follow after Jesus, we want to kind of take a look at this new year, this fresh start, and say, here are some things that we can do to really follow after God and not just set goals for ourselves, but be selfless in the way that we live our lives and how God wants us to live our lives. And so that's what we're doing. We're taking a look at this selfless series. In the first week, we talked about being bold in witness, and we talked about sharing our faith with others and what it looks like to really be bold. We even asked the question, are people like amazed at your boldness that you have for Jesus and sharing Christ with others, with our friends, family, co-workers, schoolmates, whatever it is. And we talked about the importance of that, of sharing that witness with others. And then the next week, we talked about being faithful in service, how that when we serve, we are never more like Jesus. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve others. And so when we follow that example and we serve, God does amazing things in our lives. Yes, it benefits others, but really, when you take a look at serving, it does so much for our heart and so much for our relationship with God. And so today we're talking about extravagant and generosity. And next week we're talking about being grateful in the grind. After football Sunday, we'll be getting that one, so we'll be picking that up. You don't want to miss that. I'm really excited about that one. But today we're talking about being extravagant in our generosity. And so today I want to open up with this random question. For those of you who have flown in an airplane before, we're going to do a little survey here. People are like, got really nervous. I was like, airplane? Whoa, what are we going to here? So um, <laughs> there's a jet outside right now. We're all going to get in it. No, and we're going to fly down to the Bahamas. No, and it would be pretty amazing. Um, eventually, we'll get there. So just survey real quick. Who prefers the window seat? Who is a window seat person? You prefer the window seat in the airplane? Okay. Um, who prefers the aisle seat? You're like, I've got to have that aisle seat. Okay, put your hands down. Now, who in here prefers the middle seat? Who, are you serious? Like, for real? Oh, wow. I thought there'd be no one, but this someone prefers the middle seat. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, myself, I prefer, I prefer the window seat. And, and it's just because I love looking out the window. There's just something really cool, you know, look out and see all the tiny houses. It reminds me like the intro to Mr. Rogers, you know, when they show his neighborhood and everything's small. It's like that. And you get to fly and look out the window and see everything and kind of figure out where you are. And maybe you're like, man, I flew over my house. That's, that's me. I, you know, I'm, I'm a window seat kind of guy. You know, I would be second choice, that middle seat for me is, you know, no, no one likes that. And really, you know, we can be selfish with that. And the amazing thing is, is there actually have been some scientific studies done on selfishness. I don't know why we need a scientific study to be able to tell people that we're selfish. All we have to do is get a couple of two-year-olds together, and we figure out pretty quick um, that we're selfish, right? No one had to teach us to be selfish. No one's like, you know, I really have to go to the seminar and learn how to be more selfish. It's just kind of what we do. We, we are selfish. But there's a scientific study, and they did this study, and they pointed out all of these things with selfishness. And the interesting thing is, and I know, ladies, you're going to be shocked by this statement, but men are generally more selfish than women. Women 
I thought there'd be a stronger amen on that. But anyway, but men are generally more selfish than women. And the studies show that the male neural reward system is more stimulated by self-centeredness. And women are more likely to get a dopamine rush by helping someone else out. Isn't that amazing that they did that study and figured out how our brains work? So men are more focused on surviving and women are helping others to survive. Isn't that amazing to see that, 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 that how we're wired differently like that? And, and men... It gets worse for you. If, if you're in really good shape, the news gets much worse. The study showed that guys with bigger muscles tends to lead to a smaller heart, and on average, muscle-bound guys who are really fit are less generous. So, I mean, it's like, you know, if you're going for the window seat and, you know, you're more generous, you're more selfish, so that's what they showed, too. People who prefer the window seat are more selfish. Isn't that amazing? They figured this out in that study. I don't know what that says about me, but you know, people who like the window seat, they're more selfish. And so here's where we're going with this today. Single ladies, I'm just trying to help you out. Do not find a man who likes the window seat and who's always at the gym. So that should help you out right there because he's going to probably be the most selfish. But, you know, men aren't the only ones who are selfish. I mean, come on, women, we know that we can be selfish too. When it comes to chocolate, it's every woman for herself, right? And the study actually did show when given the choice between the bigger piece of cake, the woman will take the bigger piece of cake. So I'm just going to say, if the cake fits, go ahead and eat it because it's true. You know it's true. You're like... Give me that bigger piece of chocolate cake. But it isn't amazing to see the scientific study of breaking down our selfishness and how we can be selfish. And that's what we're really taking a look at in this study is how we can move from being just selfish and focusing on ourselves, and how we can be selfless. And today, especially being extravagant in our generosity. So we're take a look at this verse in Proverbs 21. It says this, all day long, he, the lazy and selfish, craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So all day, the selfish, the lazy, they crave, they crave, they want. We're always wanting, but when we see the righteous, someone following after God, we don't hold back. And I want to ask the question, when is the last time you didn't hold back? When is the last time we didn't hold back in generosity? We chose to be generous. I know for us personally, a part of our mission as a church, Treeline, we want to be known as a generous church. It's not something that is just like a part of who we, like the side deal. No, we really, that's like our heart. We want to be generous. We want to be known in this community as, wow, that church is just so generous, meeting needs, taking care of people here in our communities, and even eventually around the world with missions. It would just be so awesome to be known as a church that is generous. And even as we were getting started, before we even started meeting, we started finding ways in the community that we could serve, giving back to local food drives, giving to toy drives, and giving financially to help support people in our community because that's at the heart and the center of who we are. We want to be known as a church for extravagant generosity. And so as we take a look at generosity in our own lives, there are three different mindsets when it comes to generosity that I want to explore with today, explore with today together. So the first one is this. The first mindset is the bag mentality. And the bag mentality says this, there is never enough. So in Haggai, it says, you eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. 
So we're trying to save, trying to get ahead, but it's like having this bag that has holes, and no matter what you put in it, it just seems to come out the other side. You ever done that before? Like try to put something in a bag that has holes, and it's just like falling out. It's a very frustrating thing. And so this is the first mentality when it comes to generosity. And honestly, if we can be honest for a moment, this is the way most Americans live their lives. This is how we live. We can't get ahead. We're always struggling. And many times when it comes to generosity, we wish we could give more. We wish that we could do more, but we think that we can't afford to. There's always something that's getting in the way from being generous. It seems like something's always coming up. You know, for me, it's like those student loans that just wouldn't die, right? It's like the perpetual debt for the rest of your life. I remember even coming out of college, you know, you're in that last meeting and they're like, you know, congratulations and good luck paying this off, right? And don't default. You're going to sign this paper saying you're going to pay us back for this college tuition. There's always something. We're always struggling. And we would love to tithe at church. We would love to give, but we just don't have enough in the bag. That's the bag mentality. We think that's just for wealthy people. Generosity is just simply for wealthy people. And that's what the bag mentality tries to tell us. And if you have wondered if that bag mentality is something that you might struggle with, and it's something that I have struggled with, many times it comes through the words that we speak, that we don't have enough, that money doesn't grow on trees. You ever heard that one before? Or we'll just have to go without. Or the way that we think about other people or our situation. She always gets the breaks. I work just as harder. It just seems like the rich are just getting richer. It becomes my chocolate, my window seat, my time, my money. This is my bag, right? And that's the bag mentality of what we get into. And the interesting thing is we take a look at this bag mentality is there's a guy who's a great example in the Bible who had a really strong bag mentality, and his name was Judas. If you know who Judas is, he was actually one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of his followers. And if you know the story, he's actually the guy who betrayed Jesus. And so he had this bag mentality. And we can see that in the story of this woman who comes to Jesus and she brings this really expensive perfume. Now, when I say expensive perfume, you might think, you know, maybe it's a couple hundred dollars for that bottle of perfume. No, no, no. It actually said that this bottle of perfume costs a year's wages. So you can imagine for the entire year, everything you make, you're buying one little thing of perfume. Man, that better be some sweet smelling perfume. You know what I'm saying? But that's what it costs, an entire year's wages. And so she brings it to Jesus and she does the unthinkable. She dumps the entire thing on Jesus. He's smelling sweet and pretty at this point. You know what I'm saying? He is smelling good. And so Judas flips out when he sees this. And this was just an act of service of what she was doing to just honor Jesus because he just meant so much to her. And Judas is like, what are you doing? Why are you letting this woman do this? We could have sold all of this perfume and we could have given it all to the poor. And see, that's the bag mentality that there isn't enough. Why are we wasting this money? And then we see Jesus is betrayed by Judas for 30 coins because he's got to stick more in his bag. See, he lived in that bag mentality that there was never enough. There was never enough. And the interesting thing is that the second one, the basket mentality, I love this. The basket mentality says there is enough. So the basket mentality says there is enough when the bag mentality says there is never enough. In Deuteronomy 28, it says all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. I didn't even know I had a kneading trough, but I'm excited that it's going to be blessed this morning, aren't you? It's so awesome. But the thing that I want us to catch from this is this simple phrase. And if you're taking notes or if you write anything down, this is the one that you've got to get today. What you keep is all you have, 
but what you give, God multiplies. So what you keep, what you've got, what you keep in that bag, that is all that you've got. That's all there's going to be. But what you give, God will multiply. I love that. So it says in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Maybe you've heard this verse before. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. See, it didn't say keep and it will be given. It didn't say, hey, if you go ahead and hoard all of this, man, you're going to be blessed. No, it said you've got to give and it will be given to you. And now I don't know about you. When I've read this verse or even growing up, I'd hear people hear the pastor quote this. I'm like, what in the world is about the good measure pressed down, shaken together, running? Like, what, what is that about? Have you ever read that before or maybe heard that and questioned what, what does that possibly mean? Well, what's interesting in old Bible times, Old Testament, a long time ago, what would happen is wealthy farmers, people who would grow grain, they would actually do something pretty amazing to help out the poor. They would leave margins on the edge of the field. And so they would leave a certain amount for people who were in need, people who were in poverty, people who need to feed their family, they didn't have anything, they would actually leave grain on purpose. They wouldn't harvest it. And they would allow the people who needed to feed their families, they would come and they would put that grain, they'd take it in their basket, they'd fill it up and they'd take it and go and they'd be able to feed their families. So now if you were a worker in that field working, say, for minimum wage and you're working for this landowner and you have to harvest all of this grain but leave that and you have to take it back to the storehouse, the barn, wherever it's going, how full are you going to fill your basket? I mean, if you're like, I'm working on the clock. I'm here all day. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd probably have that basket about three quarters full, right? It'd be comfortable. I'm not going to be like killing myself trying to drag it back to the barn. No, I'd be just, you know, fill it till it's comfortable and going. But if you're one of those people and you're coming and you're starving, you need to feed your family and you need to fill that basket. You think they're filling their basket to a comfortable weight? No, 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 no. And this is where this comes from. A good measure, right? They're putting it in that basket. They're pressing it down, right? Shaking together, level it off so it gets in there and actually just running over. It's so full. And maybe to put this in modern terms, for those of you who've had an icy or a slushy before, how do you fill it up when you go? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are going to be busted right now. You get in there, you fill that thing up, right? You tap it down, right? Make sure it's shaken down, pressed together in there real good, right? And then what do you do? You put the plastic bubble cap on top, and then you fill that up all the way top, right? All the way to the top of that thing, and then no one's looking. You stick that straw in, you hurry up, take a sip, and then you top it off, right? Am I the only? Come on, let's just be honest today. That's, that's what we do, and this is what Jesus is saying. This is what God is telling to us that when we do this, that this is how we'll be blessed. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together. It'll be running over, this is how God blesses us when we choose to be generous. There's also another story in the Bible about a basket, and it's a book uh, in the first book of First Kings, and it talks about a widow who had no food left. Matter of fact, there's a major famine in the land, and, and she didn't know what she was going to do, and she's a widow, so she doesn't have a husband to provide for her. She has, she has a son. She's not sure how they're going to survive. So matter of fact, things got so desperate, and they were so low on food that she decided that she was going to go gather some sticks to prepare a meal, make a fire, prepare a meal for the last of the flour, last of the oil. The, the basket was almost out of flour. And so they were, Bible actually says, she said, we're going to make our last meal and then we're going to die because there's nothing else. There's nothing else to take care of our family. And so along comes this prophet and he tells her, he's like, hey, 
tell you what, I, I know, you know, I see that you don't have much, but if you will just help me out and make me some food first, because I'm hungry, and I, I'll just pray, and God's going to bless you, and he's going to take care of you. And I can't imagine being in that point of desperation, and, and the man of God shows up, and he's like, hey, you know, I know you're about to make your last bread here and die, but, you know, could you feed me first? I mean, it would just feel like, you know, having a teenager. I, I, I don't know, but that's what, what happened. He it comes to him, and so she actually does it. She actually does it. She's like, okay. She trusted what God had told him. And so she goes ahead and makes him the bread. And an amazing miracle happened that there was always flour in the basket, that God had always taken care of her. When she chose to be generous and take care and listen to what God asked her to do, an amazing thing happened. She lived in this basket mentality that there was always enough. Instead of just going on and just making that last meal and then having nothing left to feed herself and her son, instead she chose to be generous, and God answered her prayer, and there was always this miraculous thing happened. There was always flour in the basket. There was always enough. We also see the story of Jesus, and you've probably heard this. It happens a couple of times. Jesus is out teaching, and people are just so amazed by Jesus and the miracles that he's doing that large crowds would gather to hear him teach. And so they're all out, and he's teaching them, and they're hungry. They've been there many hours, and everyone's kind of getting restless, right? And they're trying to figure out, how are we going to feed all of these people? So Jesus' followers, his disciples are trying to get a game plan together. You know, they're on their phone pulling up the Panera app, seeing, you know, how much they can get that delivered, you know, and get a couple trucks here and feed everyone. And it still just wouldn't be enough. And that's what they're, Jesus, even if we all worked, if, you know, a year's wages, it wouldn't be enough. We could never feed all these people. You know, it's not our problem. Let's just send them home. Let's get out of here. And then all of a sudden, this boy shows up with a Long John Silver's basket, right? He's got a couple of hush puppies. He's got those little crumbly things in there, which are amazing life-changing. I want some right now. And he had some fish in there. And what does he do? He could have kept that lunch. I mean, the one kid who was smart enough to have some food there, but no, that's not what happened. He chose extravagant generosity. He gave Jesus that fish and that bread, and Jesus did an amazing miracle. He multiplied it and fed the entire multitude. And here's what I love, that it wasn't just enough, but it was more than enough. The Bible actually says there were 12 baskets left over of food. Everyone had their fill. They're like, I can't even squeeze another hush puppy. I'm so full. And there was still some left over. I almost wonder if there were 12 left so that Jesus would be like, hey, disciples, what's up, right? Here, there's actually a doggy bag for each one of you to take home. Now, maybe you'll trust me when I say I got this covered. Isn't that amazing to see that basket mentality that there is always enough? It's not just enough. It's more than enough, which leads us to the third and final mentality when it comes to generosity. And this is, I love this so much, the barn the barn says there is way more than enough. Way more than enough. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. See, God wants to be first in our lives. Matter of fact, it actually says in the Bible to seek God first and all of these things will be added. He'll take care of the rest. God wants to be first in our lives. And when we talk about extravagant generosity, we talk about giving and you've maybe been to church before and it'd be like, man, it's just all about the money or why did I have to come to Treeline on the one Sunday they're gonna talk about this and it's just so uncomfortable. I have to talk about tithing and giving and all of these things. But see, it's not just simply about that. It's about the first fruits that God wants to be first in every single area of our lives. 
So as we take a look at this, I know a couple of these verses, this might get a little confusing, and this might be really hard to follow along, so I'm just going to encourage you for just a few moments, you might have to focus and follow along with this, but you're going to get this. This is good. We're going to dive into Exodus 13. It says, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. So basically saying when you, had, when you have sheep and that sheep has a lamb, you were supposed to give God the first of those lambs. That's what you're supposed to do. Not wait till you had 10 and then give him one of those 10. You had to give the first lamb. So it continues in Exodus 13, 13. It says, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Okay, Brian, we're like, I was tracking with you for a moment on giving the lambs, but now we're like trading lambs for donkeys and snapping necks. Like what's going on in here? You know, what's, I don't understand. So here's what's going on. In the Old Testament, there were two types of animals. There were clean and there were unclean animals. And there's actually a list that'll like run through and, you know, we're decided, God said these are the clean animals and these are the unclean animals. So as you can guess, the lamb clean animal, right? Donkey, not so much, unclean animal. So what, what does that mean? So you were supposed to sacrifice the firstborn lamb to redeem an unclean donkey with a clean lamb. So you get that? So you had to actually sacrifice the clean animal to redeem the unclean donkey. And if you didn't redeem it, then you had to like break its neck. It was worthless, which is pretty brutal. I'm so thankful that we're on this side of the New Covenant, New Testament, and we're not snapping necks and sacrificing lambs. That's pretty awesome. That had to been hardcore back then. But here's what we got to catch with this. And here's what I was saying. We got to focus and pay attention to this. Because God gave Jesus to redeem us of our sins. He gave first. So we have to ask ourselves the question, when we were born, were we born clean or were we born unclean? Well, the answer is we didn't accept Christ into our heart. We didn't submit to him as our Lord. And so we were born unclean. And so Jesus, who is firstborn of God, he is what the Bible calls the Lamb of God. God gave him first to redeem us from our sins. And so God gave first. God gave first. And see, tithing isn't just simply giving 10% of your income. It's giving, it's returning back to him the 10% that he has already given us. And this is something that when I learned this and understood this, that everything that I have, I mean, it comes from God anyway. Every blessing that he has given me, every job I've ever had, the ability to get wealth, the skill that he has given me, he has blessed me and given it to me anyway. And so it's not like God's like sitting up there waiting for me to give something that I owe to him. I'm simply returning something that was already his to him. And here's the amazing thing about tithing, and this is something that I had to get in my heart, is that tithing teaches us to trust God. It teaches us to trust God and not simply rely on what's in the bag. See, when we have the bag mentality, it's just about all what we can do. It's my own strength. It's my own ability to take care of myself, take care of my family. But when we begin to be generous and we begin to tithe, it takes trust. It takes faith to believe that with the 90% that we have, with God's blessing, that we can do so much more than we can even do. Matter of fact, this is the only time in the Bible, it says in the book of Malachi, God's like, test me. Try me out in this. See if you don't give and see if I don't just open up the floodgates and bless you with a blessing that you can't even contain. And it's not just talking about financial blessings there, but there's so many things in our lives where we need God's favor. We need those blessings. And when we choose to be generous, it opens us up to put God first in our lives and to put him to the test. See, 
I thought it was all about tithing. I thought it was just all about churches winning our money. But if you take a look at that verse in Proverbs again, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. See, it's really about bringing God our first fruits. It's about putting him first in everything we do, not just in our generosity, but in everything. God wants to be first in every single part of our life. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. It's just that many times the way that we treat our money keeps us from God being first in our lives. And so God doesn't want that. He wants just to be first in your life. And that's why we did 21 days of prayer and fasting in January, setting aside time at the very beginning of each every year and spending time focused praying to God and asking him to intervene in our lives and letting him know how much we need him and making him a priority in our life. That's why many times people will spend the first time, first part of their day, putting that first fruit, spending time with God in prayer, reading scripture, meditating, spending time with God. God is after our hearts. He wants to be first in our lives, just like he chose to give first. See, generosity isn't something that always came natural to me because just like you, just like everyone, we're all born selfish. Now, sure, some people can be wired to be more generous than others. But I remember being a young man and in high school, late high school and in college, God really began to deal in my heart about generosity and the way that I was trusting God. And I remember this one time I was in college and I was broke. And if you've been there before, you remember what it was like to be broke in college or maybe you're broke in college now and you know what that feels like. But I was working at a hotel and I was on summer break and it was winding down towards the end of the summer and I was about to go back to school. And there was a guy who was a coworker. I didn't know him very well. We just kind of rubbed shoulders once in a while. He was in a different department from me. And he, he came to me and he was telling me, this extreme difficult time that he was going through. And you could tell this was just genuine pain that he was dealing with, that he had a child who was sick and he didn't know how he was gonna deal with the medical bills. And he had a friend who was over helping him. And while he was there, his friend's car got broken into and all this stuff got taken. And he was just so overwhelmed feeling like this, this weight of how am I gonna take care of this? What am, what am I going to do? And I, I remember just feeling compassion for him, but I'm like, you know, what am I gonna do? I'm, I'm the broke college student. And so as my time was coming to close that summer, I had that one last paycheck coming in and I was thinking, oh, this is awesome. I'll go ahead and, and give him a little bit of this and, and help him out. And I remember so clearly God's like, no, Brian, I want you to give him all of it. And that's when I was like, Satan, get behind me. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, that's not gonna happen. I'm the broke college student. Remember God, I'm actually going to Bible school to learn to be a pastor. I need this money to go to school. Right? And I started into the bag mentality. The money doesn't grow in trees. I'm out here working. I'm trying to get this done, God. How do you want me to do this? This isn't fair. This doesn't seem right. But God dealt with my heart, and I was like, all right, God, I'll do it. That's just, it almost feels awkward. And, I, and so I went, got that last check. I'm about to leave for the school year, and I go back to the hotel, and I'm like, I don't even know if he's here, if he's working, and how am I supposed to do this? And as soon as I pull up, I said, like, I should be surprised that God orchestrates this stuff. As soon as I pull up to the back, the guy comes walking out of the employee entrance to the back of the hotel. I'm like, this is crazy. So I get out of the car and I go up. I'm like, hey, man, can I talk to you for a minute? He's like, sure. So I just started sharing with him. I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, as you were sharing your story with me this week, it just really moved me. And, and I'm a Christ follower. And so I, I've been praying for you. And, I, you know, I've just been praying for your kid, you know, that God's going to be there and heal him. And you're just praying for this friend and, you know, all this stuff. And so I, I have something that I feel God wants me to give you. And so I, I got the money. I started giving it to him. And he's like, no, 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 I can't. I can't take that. I can't do that. And I was like, no, you've got to hear me. You have to take this because God loves you and he sees you and he knows what you're going through. And this guy 
tears just start streaming down his face. And I'm like choking it back at this point, trying to keep it together. And he took it and he said, thank you. He's like, man, I was talking to God about this. I didn't know if he even heard me or if he cared about this. And I just, this just means so much to me. This means so much to my family. And so I just gave him a hug. I got in my car and I never saw that guy ever again. I don't know what happened. I don't know the story, but I know what God did in my heart that day. That I chose to be generous. And there's been time and time again where God has challenged me in those ways to be generous, to keep giving even when it didn't seem like I have it, when I want to just go back to the bag and be like, God, I've just, I've got to control this. It's got to, I, I've got to make this happen. I've got to earn it. I've got to do it. And God's just saying, trust me, Brian. Just give it. Keep being generous. Keep listening. And I've seen God use it over and over again where he's taken the simple generosity, me, meager, not the wealthy Brian who can just make these big things happen, but just even in small ways, God using that generosity and touching and changing people's lives. And I've seen God continue to be faithful to provide for me, that he took care of us, that he made a way for me to get through college. That I saw people just bless us and take care of me, take care of my family as we continued to be generous, as we continued to give. And so I just want to let you know today that, that if you're here, God wants your heart. And I know many times it just People think that church is all about money and it just they want it and all this stuff and that's not what it's about at all. God wants your heart. He wants you. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you today and God, we just pray that you would help us to be extravagantly generous. God, that we would understand and recognize that it's not about what we give or how much we give, but God, at the center of all of it is we are learning to be selfless, that you want our hearts, you want us. God, that you are pursuing us. You are not pursuing our checking accounts. You're not pursuing our wallet. God, you want us. You want our hearts. God, it's just that sometimes it gets in the way of truly trusting and surrendering every aspect of our life. So God, I pray that today that we would be generous. God, that we would begin a lifestyle of finding and creating that margin, God, and recognizing that being generous is not just for the wealthy, but God, even in the ways that we can do it, Lord, that we can be generous and we can see it make an impact in other people's lives. God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to be generous, God, because you gave first. God, your word says that you so loved the world that you gave your only son. You gave first, Lord. Help us to follow your example and to give first, Lord, to be generous. Lord, to see that when we come together and give, Lord, and be generous as a church, we can do amazing things. We can see God do amazing things, change lives. God, I'm so blown away that this morning we had an 11-year-old and a 10-year-old who got up at 5.30 this morning to be here, to be on the setup team, God, because they want to be here. They want to be a part of this church. They're excited about what you are doing. God, I'm so thankful for a church that we can be generous together and be the kind of church that kids want to come and be a part of it, not just even attend and get something, but they want to give back because they recognize that you are in it. God, thank you. 
while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today, I want to give you the opportunity to give the most generous gift you could ever give. And that's giving and surrendering your life to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you have never said that prayer. You have never surrendered your life. And the most generous thing you can do is recognize that God loved you so much that he gave his only son to die for you, to pay for your sins, to redeem you so that you don't have to be good enough, that you don't have to earn it, but he loves you where you are, how you are, as you are, that he is waiting for you. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. See, society would try to tell us that it's just about being good enough or being a good person and letting your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, but the truth is none of us are good enough. Every single one of us need a savior. Every single one of us needs that love that God has for us and accept the free gift of salvation, the good news that he loves you and forgives you and accepts you and wants you as you are. So we want to give you an opportunity today to do that. And if you're here today and you've said that prayer once before, but maybe you haven't been following after God, maybe just time slipped away or maybe things just got in the way or maybe you feel that you just didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it anymore. Or maybe some really difficult, painful things happen and you just really even begin to question how a God was good could allow such painful things to happen. I want you to know today that God loves you and there is nothing he wouldn't do to pursue you. There's no shadow he wouldn't light up. No mountain he wouldn't climb up. He is coming after you. He is pursuing your heart. He wants relationship with you. If that's you today, in either one of those categories, while everyone's heads bowed, no one's looking around and asking you to do something. It's more for God than it's for me. We're not gonna call you up. I'm gonna ask you to just slip your hand up for just a moment. If that's you today, you wanna say that prayer for the first time or you wanna recommit your life, I see that hand. Awesome. Anyone else? Awesome. We're gonna pray this together out loud. Repeat after me so no one prays alone. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Can we clap for those who made a decision to come to Jesus today?